Hey guys, it's me, P. And me, S. And you're listening to the Girl on Girl podcast. But it's not what you think. But also, it's kind of what you think. Okay, here's the deal. My name is Persis. I'm queer, Indian, femme, and a little over five feet tall. And my name is Sarah. I'm straight, white, cis, and a proud ginger. Every episode, we're going to talk about sexuality from a queer perspective, from a straight perspective, and what it means to find the fluidity between the two. We're going to talk about taboos, labels, dating, awkward moments, pop culture icons. We're also going to talk safe sex, self-discovery, discrimination, and what it means to be a queer minority. Episode 21. Episode 21. Oh my god, we're on our 21st episode. 21's my lucky number. That's crazy. Hey P. Hey S. What's happening, my gal? Um, oh, so much is happening. So many exciting things in this world. You froze for a little bit, guys. Technology's rough. Um, you froze you anyway, yeah, technology is rough. Persis. We just had a really cool guest on the podcast. And you know why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? 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 Well, yes, no, we did. To back Sarah up, yes, we did have a really cool guest on the podcast. But <laughs> what we were so excited about is this guest actually read our astrology charts. And Sarah and I were discussing this, and we know a few of you were interested in wanting to learn more about astrology. So the reason why Sarah and I brought this astrologer on is because, you know what, Sarah and I don't really know what we're talking about when it comes to astrology. So we might as well get a professional on the podcast. Yeah, so we gave this professional our names, birthdays, location of birth, time of birth, all that jazz, and they took it and pulled our natal charts. Is that mm-hmm. what it would be called? And then they sat down with us and told us everything we needed to know about ourselves. So the astrologer we brought on, their name is Amelia Earhart. They are currently in Toronto, but it sounds like they're going to relocate to New York, which is super exciting. They are an astrologer, choreographer, writer, and we actually got recommended to Amelia by our very good friend Sid McManus, who we had on the podcast, and I'm sure you guys all heard that episode. It was great. We talked about fluidity, and Sid and Amelia are both dancers, and so I think that's maybe how they knew each other through the community. Regardless, Sid was like, you've got to talk to Amelia. Like, Amelia is is the astrologer and so we reached out and they agreed to come on the podcast and talk to us so we did a live reading yeah which was super exciting and also very vulnerable at points like i know amelia's reading our charts like right in front of us right in front of our eyes describing our personalities describing you know you know to a t and even the relationship between sarah and i there were so many things amelia was even saying where we talked like to me the one that struck me a lot was the venus ruling because My Venus is in Libra, Sarah's is in Taurus, and Venus is like the planet of love. And there were things that Amelia was describing where I was like, this all makes sense (laughs) as to why I- (laughs) 100%. Can be the way I am. I was laughing. I was laughing so hard. When it comes to the ladies. 
when it comes to the ladies, your girl P likes to watch the sunset and have a really deep conversation and connection with the one she loves. <laughs> I was like, true. And let's <laughs> just say she really loves aesthetics, you know? I love beauty. I love... <laughs> <laughs> she loves beautiful women. She does. Um, but yeah, Amelia was... It, it was one of those things, too, where I found... You know, because I wanted to bring this up. I think a lot, there are a lot of skeptics when it comes to astrology because people always say destiny can change, right? Like nothing is written in the stars like set in stone. And you know what? I agree with that. And I don't yeah. think that's what astrology is. And I think we need to break down that assumption because Amelia described it so well where it's just one of those things that it can just help you like describe situations, describes the way yeah. you communicate, describes the way you are, your, your inner emotions, the way you present yourself to others, who you are at your core. Yeah, that was that was fascinating to me. It gives you a lot of clarity. Yeah, and I think my favorite thing that they said about astrology was like, it doesn't matter if it's real or fake or wrong or right. Like, all that matters is that it's a way to provide a vocabulary for people to describe things about themselves or to understand things about themselves. And because, which I didn't know, but we discovered today with Amelia – because we all we have all of the signs within us in some way. There is no wrong answer to what you are. Like you can be all of the things, just some things come through a little more strongly than others. And I just I, I like that outlook. Like I think I understand why people are skeptics and all that, but at the end of the day, does it really matter if it's real or not? It's helping people understand themselves better. And if they have an interest in it, like me and Purse do, clearly, then then just let, just let people live their lives. I think that's a message that we give anyway on the pod. Every time we talk about a queer issue, we're like, just let people do what they want to do. Like, for God's sake. In this conversation, you guys will hear, like, for my chart in particular, there's parts of my chart that I haven't really identified with before or that I didn't like about myself or that I thought was a weakness. And the way Amelia described them honestly changed my perspective. Like, I truly think I'll walk away from this conversation having a completely different perspective about those parts of me. And like I talk about in this conversation, like to stop being so hard on myself about those parts and to stop telling myself those parts are bad because they actually are serving me in so many ways. And it's helpful to understand what that means. That's yeah. helpful for me. So I'm, whether it's, whether astrology is real or not, I'm going to walk away feeling like I know myself better. And that's not, that's, there's only good in that. Exactly. Like believe what you want to believe. Right. But I think understanding ourselves is like the biggest thing. And one of the biggest challenges that I think we ever have to face. I totally relate to that as well. Even thinking sometimes like, I don't like the way I react to certain things or I don't love this part of myself. But Amelia did do such a good job of like putting two and two together and making you love that part of yourself and being like, that's just a part of me and I need to embrace it. And guys, you are going to love when Amelia talks about personalized relationship and how our charts are connected. It was like the cutest thing. It made me fall in love with you all over again, babe. Me too, baby. I think we needed that because she, uh, she essentially said yeah. that Sarah and I are connected and it makes sense that we have a podcast together. Like all jokes aside, I mean, I'm not joking because I'm like really like head over heels for Sarah, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, of course. I was like jokes. You're like jokes. Yokes. It makes sense when she could see the chart and how Sarah and I work together actually as well. Yeah, I think it was cool. Like we were talking about the idea of opposites and um, Amelia was saying that like astrology exists in dualities. There are opposite sides of the chart and those opposites share something in common and they'll describe it to you. It's really cool. You guys will love it. And 
just a disclaimer as we move into this conversation with Amelia they are showing us our charts as we go through on the screen so there are parts that they're going to be describing that you guys won't be able to see clearly because this is a podcast hi we're in your ears hello so just roll with it Amelia did an amazing job of describing like how things look but if you're a little bit confused about like what exactly might be happening on the screen I would say don't stress too much about it because then Amelia goes into what that means and dives a little deeper into how that relates to us and our relationship and who we are as people. So I think you'll get a kick out of it, even if you're like, I'm not exactly sure what they're looking at, but it's okay because we're about to dive in deeper. If anyone listens to this episode and they want to book their own session with Amelia, you can find them on Instagram at soft underscore aspects, S-O-F-T underscore A-S-P-E-C-T-S, soft aspects. Um, I love their content. There's a lot of like cat content, which I'm into. And if you want to book a session, you can go to ameliaearhart.net, A-M-E-L-I-A-E-H-R-H-A-R-D-T.net. And they have all sorts of stuff there, client testimonials, you know, more about um, who they are, um, their choreography work. Um, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff there. So feel free to check that out and book a session with them. Hello. Hi, Amelia. Hello, hello. Hi, yay, it's happening. Hi. It's happening. it's happening i'm so sorry for the delay that's okay no worries no worries how was dinner um delicious rainy yes. yes yeah where are you located i'm in toronto i'm in the west end and i went to three speed for dinner which is my my local mm. and uh yeah then i uh got substantially rained on and had to just kind of you know when it's raining and you have to just kind of wait for the moment yep You've got to wait yep. for it to almost like pass. I could hear it. I'm in, I'm in Toronto too. I'm in the West End area as well. Cool. Love three speed. But um, yeah, I, I was going for a walk and I was like, I can feel that there's, there's really going to be a thunderstorm going to happen. Like it's going to happen soon. Yeah, it fully happened. Yeah, it fully happened. I missed it, <laughs> but I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's like a main character moment. You know, when people say that when they're like I walking know, through. Exactly. I know. It's like teenage That's me has like Seeger Ross in my mind. Oh my God, don't even get me started. Our listeners have been really curious about astrology lately and have, we've been talking about our signs a lot. It's one of Persis's biggest interests. And we Love were like, cool. <laughs> let's get an astrologer on here to tell us what the hell is going on. Right on, I love that. And then can you tell us a little bit about you? Yes, I am recently describing myself uh, as an artist who works with choreography and astrology. My longer background, um, I've always been in the arts. My longer background as, a, as an artist is in dance and choreography. About five, six, some, some number of years ago, I was going through my Saturn return, through my first Saturn return, and I was coming out of the closet, and an elder queer said to me, oh, you're going through your Saturn return, and I said, what does that mean? And then they sent me in the direction of an astrologer. You know, I had been in therapy for a while and I had been trying different different modalities to articulate what I was going through. And I actually found that astrology was the thing that worked the best for me in that moment. Oh. And I always grew up really curious about, about, about the stars, about constellations, really curious about astronomy also and about Greek mythology. And I can't remember where I saw this, but somebody on Twitter said that if you grew up interested in Greek mythology and you're queer now, you're an astrologer. 
That's like. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's amazing. That is so cool. I have to say, it's I was so I was cool. low key. I'm into astrology, and I was also low key into Greek mythology because I was named after a Greek. Well, yes, I know. This is one of the first things I noticed about your name. I was like, oh, we've got a little bit of a bit of Greek mythology happening here. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, are okay. you named? Are you so? Are you named after? after Perseus or after Perse, like what's, what's the story behind your name? Totally. So, okay. So the real story behind my name Persis is that I was mm-hmm. named after a Indian actor named Persis Kambada. So okay. totally spelled the same way. She was like this really popular actor in like the Star Trek series, but my parents just thought she was gorgeous and she like, Oh, who did she play on Star Trek? I'm so sorry. I have to ask. I, sh- I should, I honestly, I'm going to even do my own research because I don't know who she played on Star Trek. Sorry. She just Okay, that's fine. So so she's gorgeous and she shaved her head. Yeah, I think it was like at the time pretty revolutionary that she shaved her head for a role. Like I think maybe at that time nobody really did that. But my parents were like, she's so cool. She's beautiful. Let's name our daughter after her. Um, but then anytime I would say, you know, my name is Persis, people would bring up, oh, there's like the Greek god Perseus. Mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. hear Perseus all the time. So that was something I was like, okay, and I was interested in. Mm-hmm. In case you know, Amelia, Persis played Elia in Star Trek. Ilya? I just looked it up. It was On which called, series? It was called Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979. Oh, I didn't see this one. And I think no, that's this, this the is original Star series. Trek. Okay. I'm, uh, yeah, again, the intersections of like gay and nerdy. I'm also a deep, <laughs> a deep Trekkie. And Star Trek is a really good place to start because, like astrology, Star Trek is something that works with us with archetype and this is the thing that that really that really drew me into astrology and that really started making sense for me is that it's this series of 12 12 archetypes the zodiac is these 12 archetypes from aries through pisces that represent parts of the human psyche and that all of us hold within ourselves this is the idea of astrology is that you know when through sun sign astrology we learn to say oh i'm an aries oh i'm a libra but everybody is all of the signs and it just depends on where they are in your chart that you have them stronger in some places and more flexible in other places. So the sun, for instance, is your gravitational center. It's the gravitational center of our solar system. It's also the gravitational center of ourselves. It's the part of ourselves that gives us energy, that gives us light just as it is on earth, but that's not the whole story. Um, and very often what I see as an astrologer is that somebody's sun sign is in a sign that's extremely different from the rest of their chart. So for instance, like you, Sarah, you have your sun in Aries, but you have what's called a stellium in Pisces, meaning you have a cluster of signs in a cluster of planets in the sign of Pisces. And Pisces is about art, spirit, and meaningful service, whereas Aries is about autonomy and individuality and risk. So with your sun in Aries, there's wow. a good chance that, you know, if you read horoscopes, if you read like, for instance, the Aries mug, of which of course I have one, it's going to say like, <laughs> yes. Aries person loves risk, loves to be competitive, loves to think about the self, but it's not going to get the whole picture about how your Mercury, which is the side of you that it's about communication and your Mars, which is your will and your moon, which is your emotions and your Saturn, which is how you relate to boundary and structure. So oh, the whole wow. natal chart, exactly. So the whole natal chart is this complete complete picture of the self that is much more much more complicated and messy than just the sun sign my mind's already blown for sure i think that's so interesting and i think that when people encounter astrology for the first time especially people who 
you know, don't feel they fit in with dominant narratives of how a person is supposed to be, then astrology can be this way on the one hand of fitting in, of saying like, oh, I'm a, I'm an Aquarius. No wonder I feel like a weirdo. Like my, mm -hmm. I have a sign mm -hmm. in the part of the Zodiac that's about being a weirdo. So me and every other weirdo have something to do with this part of the Zodiac. So there is a way of finding camaraderie among other, mm -hmm. other people who you identify with. And then also just that it, it gives an opportunity for what I think is this kind of incredible empathy for ourselves and for other people. Well, how about we dive into looking at your charts now? Yes, let's do let's it. do it. Okay. Persis, I'm going to start with yours because I did just give this little like tidbit intro into Sarah's and I feel <laughs> it's, it's a good moment to like switch gears and start looking at your chart first. And the first thing that I noticed about your chart is, uh, so for you two looking at the charts on the screen, um, but for anybody listening to this, they're going to have, you know, just, just the audio to go on. So a natal chart looks like a wheel. It's like a circle that is divided into these 12 slices, which are called the houses, mm -hmm. and then have 12 signs laid on top of that. And inside of that, we have these different symbols, these glyphs that mean all of the planets, that stand for all of the planets, and the planets are first in a sign and then also in a house. So one of the things that I love about a natal chart is that sometimes you have something like what is going on in your chart, where there's a really visual, uh, distinctive visual split of the planets right away. So immediately you can look at your chart and say, gosh, quite a lot is up at the top. Mm -hmm. There's very, like very little is going on underneath that line. Very little is going on to the right of the chart. It's mostly kind of to the top and to the left. Um, and in the system of astrology that I study, I work with what's called modern astrology, working with the Placidus house system for, you know, the, the geeks in the audience. I work with Placidus house systems. I'm a modern astrologer. It's a quadrant house system. So with this knowledge, with, with this system, we have these four kind of quadrants of the chart, top left, top bottom, top right, and top and bottom left. I think I said all of the things. But so in the natal chart, there's this horizontal line that divides the top from the bottom of the chart. And that is actually the horizon line. So roughly speaking in this chart, a person, you, Persis, at the time of your first breath would be in the center of the natal chart. So this is you in the center of the chart looking towards the left. And at the lefternmost point of the, at the left lefternmost point of the chart. <laughs> it's a word, it's a word. Chart, well, it's the westernmost point, or actually it's the easternmost point of the chart. This is the ascendant, the rising sign. So this is literally the eastern horizon at the time of your birth. And then over here, the descendant, that's on the full right of the chart. That's the western point of the sky. So the ascendant is where the sun would have risen in the sky. The descendant is where the sun would have set. The ascendant is literally the sign that was rising on the eastern horizon of the sky at the time of our birth. That is our rising sign. So the rising sign, the ascendant, those words get, mean, get used interchangeably, but they mean the same thing. It's one of the big three in astrology. The big mm -hmm. three are the rising, the sun, and the moon. I've spoken about the sun sign already a little bit. It's the center of our, of our, of our experience. It's the center of our, of our, it's our gravitational center. It's our energetic center. And then the moon sign is our emotional processing. That's mm -hmm. how we, that's how we hold on to emotions. It's where we go when we're feeling, when we're feeling emotional, when we're feeling distraught, but also that's where we're going to feel really safe. Mm -hmm. So you have your sun in Libra you're rising in ascendant in what's called an exact square to your sun sign. 
And then your moon is at 12 degrees of Sagittarius in your 11th house. So as I said, the first thing I notice about your chart is how clustered it is on the top of the chart. So you have a chart pattern technically called um, a bowl pattern. So there's this kind of bowl 180 degree shape where everything is going on. You know, everything in astrology has a meaning. Everything in astrology gets assigned to something. So the bowl chart pattern is its own thing. I don't work with them very much, but what I do work with is knowing how much of the chart winds up then clustered in one particular part of the natal chart. So the horizon line, the ascendant descendant line, divides the top and the bottom. Planets that are below the horizon are planets that are in the private part of the natal chart. And planets that are above the horizon sign are planets that are in the public part of the natal chart. Uh, so if you would mind, Persis, for the audience listening right now, telling me where you see most of the planets in your natal chart. Are they above or below the horizon? I would say they are, well, they're above. Yeah, horizon. they're that, absolutely correct. I didn't mean to quiz you on a first day. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I like to ask you because I, I do like to show then how actually just the visual divide of the natal chart can be a useful tool to say like, okay, if below the horizon is private, and above the horizon is public, then gosh, it looks like there's a whole lot of planets above the, above the horizon. And here I am reading your natal chart in a public context. Yeah. So that does seem quite appropriate. That people who have charts that are, that are clustered above the horizon line, you know, there can be signs that will, that will differentiate this or complicate this. And there can be planetary placements that will, that will complicate this. But generally, we're going to see a more extroverted personality type. With, right. this kind, with this kind of chart divide, meaning you get your energy through sharing with other people. Mm -hmm. Your moon sign is in the sign of Sagittarius. Your moon sign is also in the 11th house, which is about friends and community. Definitely. So your moon, your moon, which is your emotions and your feelings and your processing is in a sign, is in characteristics, Sagittarius, that are about learning and growth and expansion. And in the house, in the environment of life, that is about being around people. Yeah. Your moon is also conjunct the planet Jupiter, which is the planet that rules Sagittarius. I'm going to have to give you a little like solidarity nod here as a Sagittarian Jupiterian person. It doesn't even have to be solidarity because we are so the best. Uh, <laughs> how, how wonderful, how wonderful it is to be us. Just because, so Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter. Sagittarius is really one of the like, um, you know, the downsides, the kind of shadow sides of Sagittarius are bluntness. Sagittarius are adventure and growth and learning and opportunity. But Jupiter is the planet that has most, uh, most often historically and traditionally been associated with luck. So you have this lucky little thing going on in your chart that your moon is in the 11th house, which is the house of community. It's in Sagittarius, which is about growth and it's conjunct Jupiter. So there's something that I'm seeing in your chart that's telling me, okay, this person's friends protect her. This mm -hmm. person's community is the space of safety, is the space also of luck and of opportunity. That when you're feeling distressed, when, you're when your Capricorn rising self is encountering the world and the structures are all a little overwhelming and you want a little bit more control, you can go to your friends and let your freak flag fly. <laughs> you can go to that space and be your weirdo and, uh, and learn from them also. And that not only is that going to be emotionally satisfying for you, but it's also going to be where opportunity comes from. That's going to be where, where you have your greatest opportunity to grow is mm -hmm. being around your friends. 
I've always noticed that for sure. Just in my personality in general and just in life, um, like lots of opportunities have come through community and connection. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I mean, sometimes astrology is so literal. I find it annoying. Um, (laughs) And very, very often the house that the moon is in is one of those things that I find really annoying. I, for instance, have my moon in the ninth house. The ninth house has to do with with education and with growth. It's, it's the Sagittarius house. It's the part of how we are in life in a Sagittarian way. So higher learning philosophy. And I feel great when I'm in school, <laughs> when I'm, yeah. when I'm in an educational environment, I really thrive. And that's where I, where I feel the safest. And the, yeah, the, the house of the moon can really often describe where we're going to feel safe and mm-hmm. where we're going to feel good. That's so interesting. That's really suited to you, Purse. That's like you do a tea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's insane. I mean, also like thinking from a queer perspective, the moon also describes, um, you know, it describes our safety, but it also describes our relationship to the person we saw in a maternal role. Mm-hmm. Um, so whoever was mom for us is is mm-hmm. a moon sign thing. But what I do see here is that you learn something about connection to community through your mother, mm-hmm. that somehow your mother was able to teach you about connecting to other people. And that now when you look for family, you look for family and community, which is such a queer thing. Yeah. You know, as RuPaul said, we as gay people, we get to choose our family. And that's something that's so in the natal chart, having your moon in the 11th house is being like, where am I going to look for family? Through my communities of shared and mutual interest. And I've always felt that way when I even just, I, every time I meet like a new queer person, I always feel that like instant connection. It doesn't even have to be romantic, but it's something that's like, you feel that like we got each other and um, exactly. I would always seek that for sure. So that's mm-hmm. really cool to see that. The other thing that I'm going to talk about in your chart um, before I move on to your chart, Sarah, and I want to talk about this because it's something that you have in common in your chart uh, between your two charts, which is called a stellium. And uh, Sarah, I mentioned the stellium in your chart. So a stellium is when there's a cluster of four or more planets in one sign or house. I'm using a lot of astrobabble right now, but I, I will translate this into, into non-astrobabble. So in your natal chart, you've got, you know, you've got these little black glyphs that are in the natal chart that you can see on your screen right now, that if you're listening to this, you can look up a picture of a natal chart or something like that online if you want to. And the little black glyphs on the inside of the circle are the planets or points in the natal chart. And when there are four or more in one sign or in one house, this is called a stellium. And so a stellium operates kind of like a little family within the natal chart, but it means there's this cluster of parts of your personality that are really linked to each other. So in a family, this is, this is a metaphor that, um, that I got from uh, Tracy Marks, who's a wonderful astrologer whose book I've read many times. She says that a stellium is like a family. And in a family, if one member of the family, if a daughter receives an accolade at school, then her parents are going to feel that pride or if you know one of the parents is going through a hard things at work, then the kids are going to feel that as well. Mm-hmm. And this is how a stellium operates, that there's this clustered part of your personality that for other folks, they can be more spread out through the chart, but for you is really focused on one sign and house. And in your case, the sign is Libra and the house is the ninth house. So the sign are the character, the sign is the characteristics, the personality traits, and the house is the area of life. Libra is an air sign. All of the air signs are about system and are about organization and are about communication. And Libra specifically is about the system of two. Libra is about balance, but Libra is about the fact that balance is a verb and not a noun. So for Libran people, 
we often look at the system of two that is two people. Libra is about the, the harmony between one person and another. Libran people are very often concerned with seeking harmony between two people, concerned with seeking the balance between, in a relationship, which again, Libran people know is a constant act and is never a still, and is never a still place. Libra is also about aesthetics and beauty. Mm-hmm. Libra is ruled by the planet Venus. You have your Venus in Libra as a part of your as a part of your stellium in Libra. So this is really huge Venus placement to have Venus in its own sign as a part of a stellium next to your sun sign. So this is a very big emphasis in your chart on connection, on harmony, particularly between two people. But knowing also that your moon is in the eleventh house in Sagittarius, then I know okay, not only is connection and balance between two people important to this person but making sure that balance extends to their community is going to continue to be a part of that, of that thematic is going to always be a part of what connection means for you, that Mm -hmm. there can be balance between two people. There can be connection between two people. And for you, it is always feeding back into this larger picture of community. Mm -hmm. Also in your stellium, you have the planet Mercury and you have your sun you also have your midheaven, which is the point of career and public profile. You have your north node, which is a part of the moon's axis around the sun that's about destiny, we'll just quickly say right now. And you have an asteroid called Chiron, which is about healing and wounding. I won't talk about all of those, but suffice it to say, this is a lot in Libra. This is a lot in one little part. To correct myself, your midheaven is technically in, uh, in Scorpio, but it is still a part of this, of this stellium. That's that's a technical note, but I would be remiss to not to not note it. But this is a lot of Libra. Mm-hmm. So all, and again, again, it's in the ninth house. So expansion, growth, knowledge, anything that is going to help you grow your sense of self and understanding of the world, this is going to be where a huge amount of your personality and your life expresses itself. Like a lot of yourself is going to come through this part of the world, through you know meeting people who have different. Uh, different experiences than you do and trying to understand them in a one-on-one context, which I must say is very explicit in the setup of this podcast. But this podcast is like, there is a queer person and there is a straight person and we're talking to each other and we're talking to other people and we're making connections across this, this particular difference. Which is very legal. That's so cool. That's so cool. It's in the chart freaking out yeah it's literally in the chart I know it's in the chart it's always in the chart it's always in the chart and then your mercury and then your mercury is also in libra and mercury is a planet that makes quite a lot of sense to talk about in a podcast context again because mercury is about the way we communicate and what we communicate about the way we think and what we think about so your mercury is in libra so this is naturally you're going to have a communication style that is very focused on harmony that is very focused on connection. If you're in a conversation and somebody's like, oh, who's that actor who played this role in such and such a film? You as the Mercury retrograde person are the person who's going to have to be like, I'm going to look it up. I'm right. not going to allow this to just to just go by. Wow. Oh, that's you. <laughs> yeah, it is. That, that example is very you. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Always and again, in the, sign of, and in the sign of Libra, so always having to double check but always like wanting to make sure you're very nice about it and in your night yeah. house. So it always having to be something about, about learning and growth. So it's like, 
it's not that you're going to steamroll over a conversation and be like, nobody talk until I figure out this detail. It's going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Just let me Google this for a quick second. <laughs> I'm just going to double check this because all of us are going to learn something if I yeah. double check this detail right now. And totally. isn't that nice? Oh, interesting. I've never thought about you as a detail-oriented person per se, but I think in a lot of ways you are. Yeah, I know. In a lot of ways I am. Um, it kind of depends on what it is. I've noticed I can be like really yeah. meticulous on like certain things for sure. So that that does, it depends on my passions. I've noticed that mm. about me. I will be mm. like, I don't know, even just like just today I had to like send an email to someone and I was reading, because it meant a lot to me, but I was like reading mm -hmm. it like way too many times on the phone with my sister reading it out and she was like I can't listen to you say this anymore and I was like I know but I need to make sure it's perfect before I do mm -hmm. it so I could yeah see well that's, that's a communication thing right and mercury is communication and if you're mercury retrograde you want to make sure your communications are are exact before you mm -hmm. send them out you're going to need and as a libra person you're going to need another person's perspective there because libra again is all about that one-on-one -on -one, that getting a bounce back from somebody else wow totally oh, that's crazy yes Okay, I'm gonna flip back to your chart, Sarah, and uh, we're gonna shift gears. Okay. So right away, um, again, we had that little introduction where I talked about how to look at a natal chart um, above the horizon, below the horizon. So Sarah, I'm wondering if you, if you can see right off the bat if there are planets more above the horizon or more below the horizon in your chart, what it looks like to you. There's no it, wrong answers. Yeah, it looks like there's no more below. You are exactly correct. Okay. <laughs> I said there's no wrong answers, but there are actually wrong answers there. <laughs> okay, you could actually that. be wrong. Yes, most of the most of the planets, the vast majority of the planets in your chart are below the horizon. You have your Pluto and your Jupiter above the horizon. You have your North Node and your Chiron above the horizon, but I don't actually include those two in my in how I balance the entire chart. And then the large majority of your planets are below the horizon. So something that I think is very sweet in looking at your two charts together is that you're both Capricorn rising. Mm -hmm. So you have the same rising sign, which means you have the same signs on all of the houses in your charts. So it means there's a similarity in terms of how you see the world and how the world sees you. You're both looking at the world through a Capricorn lens, through a lens of structure, through a lens of how to make sense of things, through a lens of leadership. And then it means that you have the same signs on all of the houses in your chart. So you're both going to have the same take on learning. You're both going to have the same take on how to structure your day-to-day -day lives. You're both going to have the same take on your dreams and on your communication. All of these things are going to have something in common there. So having the same rising sign as somebody is a really good way to have, um, to have that immediate connection with them. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> yeah. But then Sarah, as I mentioned, you have your son in Aries. Uh, I mentioned that at the start of the podcast. And of course, as your son is in the sign of Libra, and in fact, uh, Libra and uh, Libra and Aries are opposite signs to each other. So I just switched back to look to Persis's chart again to double check the degrees, to check whether they were exactly 180 degrees away from each other. They're not, but they're very close. So this is an opposition between your sun signs. And every client I've ever spoken to is going to know that I'm obsessed with oppositions because oppositions describe the way that the zodiac is made up of these 12 separate signs, but those 12 separate signs actually form six oppositions, six partnerships, six sibling relationships between planets that have different ways of looking at the same thing. So for instance, with Aries and with Libra, we're talking about the, the relationship between autonomy and harmony. Both of these are about the self. That Aries says, I want to learn on my own. I want to develop my sense of self. 
And Libra cell says, I want to connect with another person. I want to understand what another person has to teach me. But those, both of those are about, about the learning of the self or about the self-development that Aries wants to develop itself through its own means. Aries is the sign of the toddler. Aries is the kid that says, I'm going to do this by myself. Thank and then God. Libra wants to learn about the self through that reflection from another. Libra wants to hear another person say to themselves, oh, I see you doing this, or I understand you to be like this, so that Libra can agree or disagree and say, this is how I understand my wit myself to be. But both of them are about the development of the selves. Oh, oppositions cool. in astrology, it's beautiful. And oppositions beautiful. in astrology describe that opposites are something that um that exist in life and that you know again to talk about toddlers when we were little kids we learned about opposites up and down big and small light and dark but these are not things that are fundamentally and diametrically unrelated to each other oppositions are things that have this essential thing that they agree about but they have differing takes on them up is the opposite of down because they're both about direction Inside is the opposite of outside because they're both about shelter, but up doesn't have a relationship to outside and down doesn't have a relationship to inside. Okay. Up and down relate, inside, outside relate. Aries Libra relates. Aries Scorpio, those are in a relationship where they're, they don't have something to talk about. It's different. Okay, that's. So I mean, cool. they do. They're both Mars ruled traditionally. Blah blah blah. There's always something to talk about in astrology. Yeah. But the oppositions themselves are something that do really describe this very fundamental relationship. Uh, we've always noticed that, though. We would always yeah. say that we're very opposite, but we've always known like Aries and Libras are meant to like really be good together in terms of like communication, relationships, like whatever it could be, friendship. Yeah, like I've always felt like we embodied opposites attract. Which I, I've, yeah. never, I've never known if that was true or not, but with us, it always felt true. Well, astrology says it's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's certainly in, a, certainly in astrology, opposites attract that opposing signs very often wind up around each other. And, you know, particularly with Aries and Libra, Aries and Libra is a fire-air opposition. Aries is a fire sign and Libra is an air sign. And what makes fire grow? Air makes fire grow. So the mm, two of them true. together... Like Aries is the energy of a lit match because Aries is new fire. Aries is cardinal fire. Aries is the beginning of fire. So Aries is the beginning of fire, the lit match, right away that first spark of energy. And Libra is cardinal air, is early air, is the first understanding of air. So that first breath that is going to blow into that match, which can turn the match out. But if it's a lit fire, if you blow on a lit fire, it's going to expand and it's going to grow. And that's the air, that's the energy of those air fire oppositions that they cool. may, they help each other grow. So with your sun in Aries, there is this central part of yourself that's going to be really concerned with, with autonomy, with developing your own sense of self on your own terms. Your sun is in the third house of communication. So wanting to be able to communicate your position to say, this is who I am and this is how I have come to understand that about myself. It's going to be something that's really central. But again, unlike Persis, for Persis, you had your sun sign and that stellium in the same sign. All of those Libra planets were surrounding your sun. Sarah, in the case of your chart, you have your sun in the sign of Aries, but then you have all of these other planets in Pisces. You have your Saturn, your moon, your Mars, and your Mercury in Pisces. Pisces and Libra are, Pisces and Aries rather, are next to each other in the zodiac but Pisces is the end of the Zodiac and Aries is the beginning. So Pisces is like the void. Pisces is the void after the end. Pisces is the part of life that we don't understand and we don't have the words for. 
It's about confusion mm. and nebulousness. Whereas Aries is about saying, I'm fresh and I'm going to try this new thing and, and figure it out. Right. So you have this real dichotomy. You're ascendant in Capricorn, which is also a cardinal sign, similar to Persis, which is going to, you know, be about leadership and structure and coming into the world in a way that it can make sense of it. But then this whole cluster of your chart, which importantly includes your moon sign and the moon sign being about your emotions and your feelings is in the sign of Pisces, which is in the sign of not understanding and in the sign of overwhelm and in the sign of, you know, Pisces is a water sign. Pisces is mutable water. Pisces is the ocean that connects our entire world to each other in a way that we don't even understand. You know, the fact that the moon does something and the tides shift and for some reason that makes some people's periods go off. Or, you know, uh, there's some kind of storm in the middle, in the middle of the water somewhere. And for some reason, that means it's going to get really hot in Edmonton, that it's so confusing and you can make sense of it if you study it. But ultimately, we don't completely understand the way this works. Right. Mm. And Pisces also knows that we're never going to understand all of the things about, about the world. And for this reason, Pisces gets really overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So people whose moons are in Pisces... But yeah, again, the moon is our emotions. The moon is our comfort, is our deep sense of self. And in the sign of Pisces, which is about feeling other people's feelings all the time, people whose moons are in Pisces are typically so attuned to other people's emotions that it is constantly overwhelming for them. And there can be strategies for trying to hide that up and for trying to cover that up. With your ascendant in Capricorn, I'm sure you put on a really good show of being like the structure person, the person who's a boss and in charge of everything and doesn't have to worry about it. And your son in Aries is just yes. like, don't worry, I'm okay. It's but so then your accurate. moon in Pisces is like actually really wounded all of the time, like actually really sore and actually feeling somebody else's emotions. And it's really hard for people whose moons are in Pisces to get over feeling other people's emotions. And you have so much in Pisces. You have your Mars in Pisces also. I have literal solidarity on Mars in Pisces. I also have Mars in Pisces. <laughs> Mars, Mars is about our energy and our will, and Pisces is about the opposite of energy and will. So people who have Mars in Pisces, it's like, I don't know what I want to do. Oh my God, that's so true. I was literally talking to my therapist about this today. Yeah, constantly feeling overwhelmed, constantly feeling like energy is coming at inappropriate times. You can't really track what energy is like for you. You don't know what will means. And then your Mercury is also in Pisces. And again, we talked about your Mercury quite a lot, Persis. And your Mercury, Sarah, is in Pisces. And Mercury in Pisces is like, you know, there's a version of telling a story that goes from A to B to C. And then there's a version of telling a story that goes from A to D to F. And then there's a version of telling a story that goes from A to Q to purple. And that's what it is to have Mercury in Pisces. Oh my God. The story takes a journey that doesn't even make sense. So yeah. you as a listener to somebody with Mercury in Pisces, you're like, I have to trust that this story is going in a direction, but there's some kind of unreliable narrative going on right now. <laughs> is that true, Perth? I, I'm trying to like see if that, if that is like, Maybe, maybe slightly. Yeah. Yeah. I think well, the thing, the, the thing about it, it's like, think about the circumstances under which, like, here, here's one. How are you at giving directions if you have to give directions to somebody? Like physical directions or like... Yeah, I know we, we all have phones these days, but if you have to give somebody yeah. directions from your house to the subway station, what kind of process is that like for you? What are the things that are going to jump out at you in terms of giving this person direction? Right. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not the best direction giver. I definitely get a little overwhelmed with it. I have to like work backwards and sometimes, and because I'm working backwards from, 
you know, destination to where we are now. Sometimes I can get it jumbled. This is, yeah, so that's the kind of thing that like a Mercury is going to describe. The the bonus of Mercury in Pisces. So my favorite celebrity with Mercury in Pisces is Catherine O'Hara. Oh my gosh. Catherine O'Hara has Mercury in Pisces. And think about the way she uses language. Oh. Think about the fact that in Schitt's Creek, she said, I'm positively bedeviled with meetings, etc." But this is not <laughs> a way of using language that makes sense. You True. get it. But Pisces rules poetry. Oh my God. So people with Mercury and Pisces can be very creative, very beautiful communicators. You don't necessarily want to put a Mercury and Pisces person in charge of navigation or in charge of like running the board meeting with the agenda. But the person with Mercury and Pisces is going to be a wonderful person to tell you a story, is going to be a wonderful person to do something, for instance, like negotiate between two people. Actually, this is true for both Mercury Mercury and Pisces and Mercury and Libra, that Mercury and Libra is going to be about, um, you know, harmony and seeing both sides of the story. And Mercury Mm. and Pisces is always going to hear somebody's feelings in a story. Right, right. That Mercury and Pisces is going to be like, oh, you know what, I you're saying the words X, Y, Z, but I hear you describing this whole other thing. And I hear all of these other feelings coming up and what you're saying to me. And Mercury Libra is going to sit there and be like, okay, well, there's two people and you're saying this and you're saying this. So the two of you as podcast hosts together, this really makes sense to me to have then guests who like with you, Persis, and your Mercury in Libra, you're going to want to listen to what both people are going to have to say, listen to whatever you're going to have to say and make something make sense out of that or make some kind of harmony and connection happen. And Sarah, with your Mercury in Pisces, you're going to draw out the beauty in these stories. You're going to draw Mm -hmm. out the, uh, you know, the kind of like human interest side of it, the thing that all of us can connect to and all of us can emote to. So it makes a lot of sense to have this, um, to have this placement in the two of your charts. That's cool. I really relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. I think I'm I am really affected by people's emotions. If I'm in a room with someone and there's some any even, they might not even be feeling that emotion, but I will sense it. I'll make it up in my head and it'll really impact me. But I won't show it. I won't show it. That's yeah, another no, thing. You're really good. You you can mask your emotions very 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 well. It's like my best skill, I swear. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be such a useful thing for you as, as a Pis- very Piscean person. And again, both of mm. you have that Capricorn rising and Capricorn rising is associated with being one of the rising signs. That's more about like, you know, keeping your shell up, maybe being a little more cold in that, in that exterior. But I think for both of you, because versus you have so much in Libra and Sarah, you have so much in Pisces that both of you have this huge side of yourself that is actually really concerned with, with the other and with caring for other people. And so that Capricorn rising is actually doing a lot of work and is actually doing a lot to make sure you have a bit of a shell that I think that Capricorn is usually one of the signs that when people find out that it's somewhere in their Zodiac, somewhere in their astrology, they're like, oh no, Capricorn is boring. But it's like, how wonderful to have the sign of literal boundaries on the part of yourself (laughs) that is about facing the world. That having Capricorn on the ascendant that's a gift of boundary where otherwise mm. it's going to be hard for you to set boundaries as somebody with this much Pisces. With your moon in Pisces, you're going to be feeling okay. other people's emotions all the time. And if your ascendant was less boundary than Capricorn, it's really easy for Pisces moon people to be so overwhelmed that they can't do anything. Right. You know, like the shadow, the shadow of Pisces is about addiction. And that's in the sense of like, you know, addiction in the scary way that we think about. But Pisces is also about watching Netflix for 12 hours. Mm. You know that, you know, that I little can thing do. That, 
Of course. Yeah. And you know that little thing that comes up and it says like, are you sure you want to keep watching? And you're <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm like, offended. Yes. yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. And Pisces is like, I'm not sure of anything, but I am sure of this. <laughs> I do. So I do in fact want to keep watching how to fix it best reno home invasion <laughs> real estate so show me i cannot explain how me that is because it's escapism and escapism yeah, totally. is piscean hmm. the pisces wow. is about escape wow interesting amelia i like that you also actually brought up that because my first thought too when i knew capricorn was my rising i was like really capricorn me too me too because i i don't know for some reason i had this perception but then later on and as you're describing both of our charts it makes so much sense. It gives you that sense of like earthiness and the boundaries that I definitely see in my personality. And I do see with Sarah too. Yeah. So it's just the cool confirmation, but yeah, my, well, my first thought was like, I don't know. I don't think I am, but I know people, people are seldom excited by it. Capricorn is literally not exciting. Just very, very truly not exciting. However, yeah. a thing that is happening for us in our world right now is that I really believe we're going through collective Capricorn trauma and collective Capricorn reckoning. Pluto has been in the sign of Capricorn since 2008, since the great financial collapse that happened in 2008, since Obama was voted into power, since shortly before the Occupy movement. And Pluto takes, you know, roughly 15 years to move through a sign with, with a lot of flexibility on that number. So when Pluto is moving through a sign, it describes things that our entire world is going through, the real thematics of what we're dealing with. And Pluto is about transformation and power and catastrophic fear. Capricorn is about the structure of our daily lives. It's about the structure of how we're gonna feel safe, the economy, it's about our jobs. But Capricorn is also the conceptual structures that govern our lives, such as the patriarchy, such as white supremacy. And last year, Jupiter and Saturn, Saturn was in Capricorn um, from uh, late 2017 into the end of 2020. And uh, Jupiter was in Capricorn throughout 2020, starting late in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, so the great conjunction that happened in, at the end of 2020, people were very excited about that. That was at the very beginning of Aquarius, just after Capricorn. But last year was all about the mess of Capricorn, was all about mm. everything that can go wrong from a Capricorn perspective. And what can go wrong from a Capricorn perspective the very foundation of the way we structure our day-to-day -day life can go wrong. Such as, for example, if there is a global pandemic. <laughs> Such as, for example, if you are living through a climate crisis that means you can't go to work anymore. Or, for example, if the hatred and the vitriol of white supremacy has finally come to a head and people are finally too late starting to wake up to it. So all of these things happened in 2020 under the, under the mess of Capricorn. So part of why wow. I think people who have Capricorn placement are going through, are really having such a hard time right now and don't want to identify with that Capricorn self is that we only see the negative sides of Capricorn right now. We only see mm -hmm. the monopoly man side of Capricorn. We don't see the crone, which is also Capricorn. You know, the like elder person who is sitting there and holds the wisdom and has the memory and has the knowledge that is also Capricorn. Or like the feeling of holding a very old tree is also Capricorn. Or the feeling of being at the top of a mountain is also Capricorn. Those are all Capricorn things. Oh, cool. I like that. True. You're making me love Capricorn. my Capricorn. Same. Oh, I am. Yeah, totally. I am hopelessly earthless in my own chart. I yep. love Capricorn. I aspire to have more Capricorn. And I think having those huh. earth signs are like very, very, it's really important. 
to kind of have that balance as well. And I never used to think <laughs> about it that way. It is. No, it's very important. <laughs> it's it's, very it's important. critical that like earth is the literal details that make up our day-to-day lives. I, ne- so, I never related to Capricorn and now I'm, I totally get it. Me too. I mean, again, we, we all have all of the signs within us. Right. And right. that once people, you know, once you learn parts of yourself where you don't, where you don't, for instance, have a planet, but that you still have a house. Cause we have, we have, you know, we have all of the signs on a house. So for instance, both of you, since you are both Capricorn rising, both of you has, have cancer on your descendant. So, which is on the seventh house of one-on-one partnership. So you've got that Capricorn rising that is like giving you this distance from the world, this sense of boundariness. Sarah, we know that for you, this is tempered with that moon in Pisces that is very romantic mm-hmm. and emotional. Mm-hmm. And Persis, we know that for you, we have this whole bunch of Libra stuff, which is going to be really romantic and very into one-on-one connection. But then <laughs> both of you have cancer on the part of your chart that is about one-on-one connection. The seventh house, the descendant, where you both have cancer, is about your any intimate and connected one-on-one relationship. So for instance, a romantic, a marriage relationship, a partnership is going to be a seventh house thing. Best friends are also a seventh house thing. A business partnership is a seventh house thing. Or the relationship that I assume the two of you have as co-hosts is also going to be seventh house because the two of you intimately and dedicatedly build this thing together and do it together. And you both have cancer on the sign on the part of your chart that is about doing this thing. And cancer is about sensitivity and care and vulnerability. And cancer is about, am I okay? Are you okay? <laughs> cancer. <laughs> do that. Oh, oh cancer, is, cancer is the baby, <laughs> but cancer is also the mom. Like cancer is both of those roles um, that we are in a cancerian space of ourselves when we feel like a baby, but we're also in the cancerian space of ourselves when we're feeling very maternal. Cancer is very vulnerable, but cancer is the most sensitive part of the zodiac. So wherever we have cancer in our natal chart is going to be the place where we are at our most sensitive. So for instance, people who have cancer in a very public part of the natal chart on the rising or on the midheaven, or let's say they have their Mercury or their Mars or their sun in cancer, that sensitivity is going to be really visible. That vulnerability is going to be a part of their day-to-day lives and their day-to-day existence. With cancer on your seventh house and that Capricorn rising, you can go into the world and be a little bit like, thank God I've got this Capricorn protecting me. Thank God I've got this structure, this literal physical structure. Capricorn is walls, this literal physical structure that I can hide behind because then when I go into a one-on-one space, I turn into cancer baby. That once I am in that romantic connection or that close work collaboration, I have to be like, I'm baby. I don't have words right now. I'm freaking out. I know, dear (laughs) listeners need to see the faces that are happening in front of me right now. I mean, this is the other thing. Like, I wrote about this (laughs) recently that, like, um, because of astrology apps and because of clickbait, there's a thing about astrology that, like, and also because of, like, the appropriation of drag and Black culture uh, and African-American vernacular English, we want to be like, oh, drag me astrology read me for filth astrology you didn't have to snap so hard zodiac right um and like for me as an astrologer it's like yes there's something incredible about the way that astrology can make somebody go like oh gosh well that's me but more than that i want to affirm you like i want to be able to describe something that can say like oh this is a part of myself that i have not had language to articulate yet but that now i do Mm -hmm. which is which is the beautiful thing about it 
It's beautiful. The thing that you said about being both the baby and the mom, that's something I've never been able to articulate. And I've always felt like even Persis with our relationship, there are so many times where I feel like the mom in the relationship and so many times where I'm the baby and I need you, I need your attention or affection or your whatever. I need you to be, to approve of what I'm doing. You know what I mean? And I feel like you sometimes feel the same way with me in both roles. And oh, a hundred percent. And there's so many times too with you. And that's why even when you said like the checking in, are you okay? Am I okay? With Sarah, it's actually really funny. Anytime her and I even get into an argument, we can't like just end it. It's always like, but are you okay? I'm okay. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm I'm okay. But I don't know if you're okay. It's just, we go back and forth with that for so long. So that's really interesting. Totally. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's interesting to me about that is that you both have Mars and water signs. So Sarah, I talked quite a bit about your Mars in Pisces. So I love talking about Mars. I was listening to a podcast by uh, The Astrology, a wonderful astrologer named Kira. She's at The Astrology on Instagram and Twitter and all the places. And she has a podcast called The Astrology Show. And um, she speaks from a traditional Hellenistic astrology lens. And she had an early episode talking about the planet Mars. And they were imagining that the planet Mars is this actor who, who is like this like tough guy. And you know, this is a common metaphor that astrologers use that, uh, that the planets are actors and the signs are the characters that they play. Cool. A lot of us oh. use this. And so Mars is this like tough guy. So when I, when I talk about Mars, I talk about Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but like Dwayne the Rock Johnson is showing up on his first day and is going in to be like, all right, what are my props? What's the role I'm playing? And so Mars is ruling, Mars is the ruling planet of the sign of Aries. So when Mars shows up in Aries in this, in this podcast that Kira gave with her collaborators, with her co- co-hosts on that day, they said, okay, so this actor shows up and in the role of Aries, he's playing a warrior. He is given a sword and he is given a shield. And so Dwayne the Rock Johnson says, I know how to play the role of Aries. I, I got this role. In Scorpio, so Scorpio in ancient astrology was ruled by the planet Mars. So Mars, Dwayne the Rock Johnson walks in on the first day, is like, okay, props department, like tell me what you got for me. And they're like, here, here is a kit, you're a ninja, go into training. And Dwayne the Rock Johnson is like, oh, I can do that. I can like sling and like go into the secret attack and like deal with these problematics of this role for me right now. Um, so you know, Persis, you have you have this Mars in Scorpio thing. So there's this thing about this like sneak attack anger. There's this like when anger and will and rage comes out, it's like remember that scorpions have pincher in the front, but a little literal poison needle in the back. Like yeah. a scorpion, a scorpion will pinch you in the front, but then also poison you from the back. <laughs> don't make That's me fair. angry. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, don't make it. No, don't make it. It's actually Scorpio true. Angry. And then, dear Sarah, you and I have this in common. We have Mars in Pisces. This is Dwayne The Rock Johnson showing up to the first day of filming and saying, okay, props department, what do you got for me? And the props department saying, here is a rhythmic gymnastics ribbon. And (laughs) The Rock saying, what would you like me to do with this? And the props department says, express yourself. (laughs) Oh my God. So Sarah, when you go into a space of fighting, when you go into a space of conflict or anger, the image that comes to mind for me in that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson floating a rhythmic gymnastics ribbon around trying to express his anger. True. Oh God. True. And we, the public, that, are like, what does that mean? That might be say, the truest thing I'm expressing thing myself. <laughs> that might I'm be the truest thing I'm expressing myself. Can't you see? I mean, I have this in common, so I can, I can say my, my, my poor hapless Mars in Pisces is always waving the rhythmic gymnastics ribbon around, trying to, trying to communicate my, my anger. I couldn't have articulated it better. 
<laughs> but they're both in water signs, so they're both able to talk about emotions because that's the water thing. Water signs are about right. feelings. Water signs are about our emotions, are about uh, are about connection. Cancer is a water sign that's about vulnerability. Mars is a water sign that is about the depths, and Pisces is a water sign that is about empathy. So all of them are about emotion. They're just about different about different things. And your Marses do something called trining each other, so they flow and they support each other. So it's like if a fight is going to happen. Then of course that thing, are you okay? Am I am I okay? Is going to happen. Right. That thing about okay. like let's make sure we're checking in emotionally because that's where we know we both come down to, and that's what we know that we both have in common around this. Mm-hmm. Cool. I like that all this is innate too. It's not like we, you know, it's, we couldn't really articulate this or know this. It's just kind of like innately part of us and part of our relationship. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the way, the way I think about astrology or talk about astrology, I, you know, often people will say like, oh, uh, because I have such and such planet, I am this way. And the way I've come to talk about it for myself and with my clients is that it might not be because of that, but that describes it. That your mm-hmm. Mars in Pisces describes that when you get angry, angry, you get overwhelmed and you maybe don't know what to say. And Persis, mm-hmm. your son in Libra describes that a really major part of yourself is always going to be chasing connection with somebody else, with other people. It doesn't determine it. You, you can decide what you want to do with that, but the astrology describes it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think that's where a lot of people get confused, right? I think, I think cause it's like, we all, we're all like the makers of our own decisions. Like, you know, nothing is guaranteed. Like we, we do what we want to do, but I think this gives a lot of clarity and just exactly like you said, it just describes the situation. This is why I am the way I am sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It gives you, it gives you language and therefore like a tool and a strategy to deal with it. A hundred percent. I think it's helpful to be able to put words to it Mm -hmm. and not be so hard on yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm frankly at a point with it where I'm like, you know, as an astrologer, always there's going to be some probably man who's going to be able to pipe up and be like, you know, astrology is not real. You know, we can't explain it. And like, (laughs) I frankly don't mm-hmm. care. Like at this point with my practice with astrology, I know it helps people. Mm-hmm. And that's all I care about. That like, who cares if it's fake? Like, you know, my astrology teacher also mm-hmm. always says, no, science can't explain astrology, but science also doesn't have a cure for psoriasis. Mm-hmm. So right. how <laughs> much? True. Obviously it can't explain everything. <laughs> oh my God, I we love don't have that. a cure for the common cold. You know what I am curious about, though? You know when people speak up about, like, destiny and how the stars are aligned? Like, I'm just curious to know how much astrology plays a factor in that. If, like, if it's meant to happen, it will. If the stars are aligned and... You, you know what I mean? Because I, yeah, I'm not a person and who thinks that stuff, too. Like, I'm a believer. Mm-hmm. I'm not a skeptic. So I just love yeah. to hear your, your thoughts. I mean, I describe myself as a skeptical believer that I... I, I see astrology to work, but at the same time, I have a lot of Sagittarius and a lot of Aquarius in my chart, and I'm always going to be filled with like, well, what else? How does this work? So talking about fate, talking about destiny, one of the things that I love about astrology is that there are multiple points in the natal chart that get described as points that have to do with destiny or have to do with our fate. And the reason I really love this is that we don't actually know what destiny is, and we don't actually know what the purpose of life is. So I can look at either of your charts and find multiple different points and multiple different planets that are going to have something to do with destiny or something to do with fate. 
and it can and it can change really radically also mm-hmm. is the thing that these things can be really different and the thing that I like about that is that it, it's kind of this choose your own adventure thing it's like there's lots of things that you get to be like this could be my destiny or that could be my destiny or like this other thing could be the thing that is about fate for me and for me working one-on-one with clients it's about trying to figure out what is the most resonant piece of this puzzle for you there are circumstances mm. in life beyond our control and astrology describes these things astrology describes astrology described the events of 2020 and the fact that those were outside of our control astrology is describing the the ongoing events of 2021 which will continue into the future and the fact that these are out of our control so there are things about astrology that do describe how we are a victim of circumstances and how we are at the hands of fate we could say but astrology also describes that we have tools to figure out how we're going to deal with it um you know hearing people who say that they don't believe in fate there is so much that i don't have a say in is that fate or is that luck i don't know or is or is that circumstances Mm. or is that the news i think actually that all of these things are kind of the same thing and that astrology and woo-woo languages are one way of talking about it that can be empowering for people. Um, but no matter what, there's going to be things that happen in your life that you have just literally no say over. Mm-hmm. So I don't really understand personally how it's that much big of a leap to then say like, oh, like your personality is subject to the conditions of your birth and to condition the conditions of your life. That's what astrology says. Astrology says these are the conditions right. you were born into these are going to be some of the things that are going to happen at times in your life. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're going to be subject to those. And depending on how you personally deal with it, you're going to be able to go in different directions from there, but you cannot control that they happen and that they will continue to happen. Right. And have you ever had a client that just does not relate to their chart? Like you describe their chart and they just fully do not. I have, I have not had that it. happen. And I think that I have not had that happen. I have, it's, it's relatively little time that I've been reading charts professionally, but I also think I haven't had that happen because right. when people opt into seeing an astrologer, they're already ready to be like, I want somebody to articulate this in this mm-hmm. way. Like I'm, I'm going to be open to hearing Fair. myself described. But also because um, in the way I practice astrology, you know, I ask people a lot of questions about themselves. I hope right. for a lot of back and forth. And like, I don't want to really personally make guesses about a person. Um, I mm. always say that the point of what I'm doing is to describe you in a way that resonates for you. And so if this doesn't resonate, please tell me. Because one of the interesting things about astrology is that very often extremes are being described. So for instance, if somebody has a huge mm. abundance of one element, or, or actually more accurately, if there's a lack of one element in a natal chart, if somebody doesn't have a lot of air, then you're going to say like, okay, one of two things could happen. Either this person is really resistant to organizational systems, or this person overcompensates and over relies on organizational systems because they know that there's this, because there's this part of themselves that they have to deal with. So if I'm seeing a client and I say something like that, if I'm dealing with an extreme, I'll say, okay, there's kind of a couple directions that this could go. So let me know which one, which one is more, is more relevant for you and which one resonates more. And very often once the client says like, you know what, this is the thing that actually makes more sense for me. I can then go to the chart and be like, okay, reasons X, Y, Z are also affirming that for me. And I, and I can believe that that's the case. And sometimes it's a mystery. And sometimes there's somebody in a person's personality. There are things about my needle chart that continue to make no sense to me. Mm -hmm. And there are things about my personality that I continue to be, 
to be baffled by. And I also love that because I don't want everything to be written on a, on a circular map from the time of my birth. <laughs> That's so true. That's very fair. I'm a Sagittarius and you can't tell me what to do. Of course. We're all evolving I've, all the time. Like, yeah. But, so um, much Pisces. There's so much Pisces. And then your Venus is in Taurus. You both have, you both have Venus and Venus is ruling signs. Venus is ruling Taurus and Libra and Persis, you have Venus and Libra, beauty, aesthetics, connection, harmony. Sarah, you have Venus and Taurus, sensuality, the body, pleasure, re- like those kinds of like reality things. Venus and Taurus is about the pleasure uh, of like smelling a flower and eating a snack. And Venus and Libra is about the pleasure of oof. looking at a sunset mm. and talking to a loved one. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't isn't Venus like the rule? Like it's like the love planet or something? Don't people associate quote unquote with, like, the love planet? Yeah, that Venus is Venus is about like romantic love and connection. Right. And there's lots and lots of things in the chart that do that do determine and describe that. For instance, as I talked about the seventh house, which for both of you have in Cancer. Um, but yeah, Venus is the one that like if I'm doing like a quickie reading of somebody's chart and they want to know about love and romance, I'm gonna look at their I'm gonna look at their Venus placement. And you both have Venus in right. you both have Venus in domicile. You both have Venus in in her ruling signs. So it's like Venus in the house where she's right. comfortable. She knows where everything is. This is where she likes to live. I mean, well, Persis loves pretty girls, so I think it makes sense. I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> I do not blame you. I really do. And oh I think my God. I, I really always make, do. I really do. And I'd make it a joke to be like, oh, my Venus is in Libra. So I'm like, totally like into the, the beauty, the aesthetic, the going to watching the sunset with a loved one. Like that all makes so oh, much sense. No, I romanticize it. life all the time. Like <laughs> I always say that, I always say that Libra is the Carrie Bradshaw of the Zodiac. <gasps> oh, I'm jealous. Libra, Libra is the like, I want the pretty dress and I want the nice life story. And I want to like describe, cause also Libra is like harmony. Like, and you have your Mercury and Libra. That's like writing. This is like Carrie Bradshaw sitting in like some beautiful coat, looking out the window, knowing she's being seen as wistful and beautiful right now. <laughs> the amount of times I've, I've I thought, love that. oh, for sure. No, I'm happy with the Carrie Bradshaw. What would Aries be? If we had to think of someone who... Who's Aries? It might be easier to say, like, if, if, like, are we talking about characters in general or are we talking about Sex and the City? Because Aries is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Ooh. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I don't know why I love that so much. And also my last name is Johnson. So yeah, I think I mean, it, all, that's it all aligns. Aries is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> Pisces is a manic pixie dream girl. Taurus. Gosh, who's Taurus? This is a tricky, this mm. is a tricky, this is a tricky game right off the top of my head. Um, it's fun. I always think of dancers when I think of Taurus, actually, because in mm. my in my life outside of an astrology, I'm, I'm a dancer, and I actually think of like Isadora Duncan. Gemini is like a talk show host. Oh. Oh, okay. That's very Gemini. Love that. Um, Jimmy Fallon. Wendy Williams. Jimmy oh, oh. Fallon. Wendy. Wendy no, Williams. Wendy Williams. Already coining yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Wendy Williams. <laughs> um, cancer is every mom on any sitcom ever. <laughs> Leo is Samantha. Mm. Hmm. Leo is oh, Samantha. Oh man, um, I love Leo. Virgo is a uh, oh god, I love Virgo so much. Virgo is like the good guy on the sitcom who is like kind of dorky, but like mm. just has her best interests at heart. Libra is Carrie Bradshaw. Scorpio is also Samantha. Um, <laughs> True. Sag- Sagittarius is unfortunately um, is unfortunately Indiana Jones. Oh. Capricorn. Uh, Capricorn is Anna Wintour. Mm, okay, we got a little and, Anna Wintour in us. Oh, yeah. And 
I was wondering if Capricorn would be Miranda. Capricorn is also Miranda because Capricorn, I mean like Capricorn, well actually Miranda I would say is maybe more of a Sagittarius because Sagittarius is about the law and like smirk and like, like kind of sarcasm and growth. Like in terms, in terms, in in terms of the girls, like, Mm. uh, you know, you know, Samantha, Samantha (laughs) is Leo, Leo Scorpio, like Samantha is like a Scorpio sun with Leo rising and Miranda, Miranda yeah, is definitely, Miranda that. is definitely Sagittarius, but with like, maybe Miranda's got like Capricorn rising. Um, but I think, mm-hmm. I think Miranda also has maybe like Cancer Moon actually, so sensitive. And right. Charlotte is like a Libra Cancer combination. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. Totally. <laughs> definitely Libra. Yeah. And then Aquarius is, oh Aquarius God, is like the aliens on, uh, the aliens on the Simpsons. Aren't you a little bit Aquarius, Mila? I have Aquarius Moon. Here we go. <laughs> I'm weird. You can't tell me otherwise. Oh my god, that's amazing. I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. Oh my god. Is okay, this has been incredible. I know we like have gone a little bit over time, mm-hmm. but is there anything else kind of to wrap up that you want to tell us about our charts or tell us about astrology or share with our audience? Anything at all? Um, I mean, I guess I would just say that uh that there's a lot of like flagrant misinformation available about astrology but that also on the other hand astrology is something that you need to make work for yourself so it's about it it takes a certain amount of deep study and it takes a certain amount of like intensive relationship with to get to know it in in a really holistic way so if there's something about your chart that uh that feels like you don't like then I would say how do you interrogate that as a part of yourself that you might be uncomfortable with and 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 find language for for giving yourself more love around that yeah that's how i feel about pisces and i think this conversation oh. I'm, i honestly think i'm going to take this away and really think differently about that part of me because i'm really hard on myself about that and i think that it's a beautiful part of me that that i that i should celebrate you know totally and also it's not going to work if you're hard on pisces <laughs> oh my god so true <laughs> just nothing's gonna happen that's so true I shut, when people try to tell me what to do i just shut down yeah. yeah you should own that part of yourself own it own it it's right yeah. there I'm in going the chart. To. you can see it and you that's like, right. that's, yeah you learn from it and I think it just it all makes sense too I think that I think that's so beautiful me too thank you Amelia Amelia this thank you so cool. much this was wonderful it was really really lovely to talk to the two of you so nice to meet you and we will share all of your information when we uh, post this episode so everyone can check you out and book a reading with you Yes. Yeah, yes, please. I would love that. Please do. I love to meet new clients and talk about astrology with people. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you again. Okay. We appreciate it. Thank you. you very much. Yeah, I appreciate you too. Percy Buns, are you ready for a little in case you missed it? Should we start to have a jingle for in case you missed it? Sure, what do you want it to be? In case you missed it. Sarah, what are we talking about? In case you missed it. Mm. There's things um, you might have missed. Don't worry, because we got them. We got them right here on the podcast. Mmm. Uh-huh. That was great. What am I thinking of? The what am I thinking of? The um Oh la 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 la
啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦啦Don't waste precious airtime. Our listeners have been through enough. <laughs> okay, guys. In case you missed it, we have another sports story that we love to hear. Mr. Luke Prokop, he's a 19-year-old、uh, Canadian hockey player, becomes the first player with an NHL contract to publicly announce that he is gay, and the crowd goes wild. Yes, <gasps> yes, Luke. So. Luke, who's from Edmonton, Alberta, made an announcement on Instagram,、um, saying, "From a young age, I have dreamed of being an NHL player, and I believe that living my authentic life will allow me to bring my whole self to the rink and improve my chances of fulfilling my dreams." I love this announcement because, first of all, he's he's quite young, right? And I think a lot of times when there's like an athlete who's coming out as gay, it's maybe later in their career when they feel safer to do so. But Luke is. Is hasn't even started his career. Like he ha- he、um, was selected to to play with the Nashville Predators, so he he's contracted to play with them. So he's good to he's joining the NHL, which is amazing. But he's just starting out, and he's not saying like I couldn't hide this self my myself anymore, or you know I have to I have to speak my truth like that kind of thing. It's more like no, I'm going to be a better hockey player if I'm being authentic. I'm going to have a better career if I'm if I'm just being true. Like, if, there's no point in me hiding anything because it's just going to make me a worse. It's going to make me worse at my job, is what he's saying. And it feels very clear and、um, confident. It doesn't feel like exasperated. It's just like, yeah, this is me, and I just want everyone to know that so I can be a better hockey player. And also to dive into the world of hockey specifically, I think that's so big for the NHL. You know. And I like that you said that it it doesn't come with like I've been hard, hiding this part of myself for so long, and you know not to undermine those stories because that is also very important. You know, for sure, people, people go through their、totally. own journeys in life and take longer to come to terms with themselves, and it's always an it can be an ongoing battle. But、yeah. what's inspiring is like hearing Luke's story with him saying, "This is who I am. It'll make me a better hockey player." And I like how he even said here, like. I may be new to the community, but I'm eager to learn about the strong and resilient people who came before me and paved the way,、mm-hmm. so I can be comfortable today. This is just the beginning of my journey, and I'm excited to see where it takes me, both in hockey and in life. Because we've talked about this before, Sarah, where we say, you know, I just wish it was easier sometimes. You know, like I wish we didn't have to go through this whole thing. But it's people who have paved the way for the younger generation to feel more comfortable、yeah. and confident and say, I'm gay. I And、right. I thank people who maybe did have to kind of go through it because that's just a part of life. Like we're all learning as a society together.、Um, right. No one, no one was okay with this like right from the get go. And I think it's only going to get better. I think Luke's story is an example of someone saying, "I'm, I'm just signed a contract with the NHL. I'm gay, and I'm okay with saying I'm gay, and I'm going to be a voice for the community." And think about how many more people in sports. Specifically, a sport that I don't think is very LGBTQ friendly. Like I could be totally wrong.、Um, I'm not. I don't know much about hockey, guys. I'll be honest. But like, I never.、Um, <laughs> I never like. I would 
tr- truly like the demo of people who I know like watch hockey or like are so involved in like hockey culture. The last thing on my in my mind is like LGBTQ awareness. <laughs> so I think this is huge. Well, yeah. And so I think it's extremely important that Luke acknowledge the people who came before him. But at the same time, no active NHL player has ever come out as gay. In fact, Luke is technically the first one having been contracted to the Nashville Predators. So he technically he hasn't even started playing in the NHL, but he's I guess he's, you know, active technically because he has a contract regardless he's the first one so as much as he's acknowledging these people who came before him who are so important he's he's going to be that for who knows how many other young people who are coming into a major sports league and um who want to be their authentic self they want to be they they don't want to hide their queerness um so I like how both of those things can exist at once and the NHL commissioner Gary Bettman made a statement after Luke um, posted that and thanked him for sharing his truth and for being so brave. Uh, Bettman said, I share his hope that these announcements can become more common in the hockey community. LGBTQ players, coaches, and staff can only perform at their absolute best if they live their lives as their full and true selves. We do not take the meaning and importance of this announcement lightly, which I think is great. Like it's a, you know, it's, it's, if he made any other sort of statement, (laughs) saying the contrary or no statement at all. It would have been bad for the whole NHL, obviously. Um, I think it's like a very nice statement. But my favorite thing was that he was like, I I want to see more of these announcements. I want them to be more common. I don't want this to be the first, as great as it is, as as much as we should celebrate Luke um, for being the first. Like, it'd be great if there were more, (laughs) obviously. Yes. It'd be great if everyone was was like just – they're gay cells. Oh my gosh, I agree. And also, David Poyle, president of hockey operations and the general manager for the Predators, um, was saying, we want Luke to become a successful hockey player and we understand his ability to be out comfortably will help him achieve his goals on and off the ice. We are committed to ensuring nothing stands in the way of his ability. His courage is an inspiration to us and to the LGBTQ community in Nashville. Yeah, I think it's this is so great. Like This is a moment to celebrate and I love... The NHL's response to it. I love the Predators' response to it. I love the way that Luke's doing it. I think it's all so great. And I just think we would be remiss to not acknowledge that there's going to also be a fan reaction to this. And I truly hope that the entire hockey community is as warm and accepting as like the NHL is being. Um, and I think that that I th- like we have to acknowledge those layers of the situation. There are some some fans who might not react to this well. And we just hope that like Luke being that representation and the NHL backing him up so so um, relentlessly is going to trans- translate into everyone associated with the sport of hockey from the fans to um, the people behind the scenes and the people on the ice. Mm-hmm. I think this is like incredible. A statement like this is, this is huge. I wonder if he's single. I wonder. Should we look it up? Yeah, should, should we set we? him up with someone? Kyle, are you Kyle? listening? Kyle, are you listening? <laughs> I, I do you think Kyle would be into a hockey player. Yeah, I think maybe. I think he would. Yeah, I think he would. I think he. I think he would like that, like body type, that build. That build the the ability to like just you know score. Oh, 
The ability to glide. <laughs> skate backwards. The ability to skate backwards. <laughs> Score in the net. I know for a fact Kyle is really into the ability to skate backwards. That is a big turn off for him. <laughs> it's a deal breaker if you can't. So um, anyone Definitely. who wants to date Kyle, make sure you can skate backwards. But Listen, yeah, I guys. think it's cool that we have Luke in the NHL and then we had Carl Nassib in the NFL, like, you know, a few months apart from each other, being the first active players to come out. So it's just the start of many, I think. Yeah, I think so too. It's honestly, even to like for us to be like sitting here and talking about it already feels like such a new beginning in like the way like the world is is progressing. I think so too. I love it. I love it. It actually makes my heart so happy. And I'm happy for Luke. And he seems so happy. He's so confident. He's he's being that voice. He's not afraid. He's like, this is me. And we need more of that. So thank you. Oh, yeah. (sighs) Well, I love you, Percy Pete. Thank you for being my astrology partner in crime. Like we are we are partners on the in the astrological world. And I couldn't be more happy about it. If there's anything we learned from Amelia, we did learn that we're meant to be together. Yeah, like I know you guys as co-hosts and we're like, yeah, co-hosts. Yeah, co-hosts of each other's beds. (laughs) What does that even mean? What does that even mean? I don't know. You know what it means. Yeah, I know what it means, but you need to explain to the pod. No, they can use their imaginations. (laughs) You're my, uh, my, my, my woman, my uh, queen, my child, (laughs) my, uh. My manifestation of my dreams. <laughs> yeah, we. What should we uh, roll out of the episode with today? <laughs> Love song by The Cure. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Whenever I'm alone with you. 